Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Coming up later in the hour, we're going to talk about how the pandemic might affect political polarization in American politics. But first, the coronavirus pandemic is disproportionately affecting people of color here in Michigan. According to state statistics, black people represent about 40% of all COVID-19 deaths. That's in contrast to the black population in Michigan, which is about 14%. The Whitmer administration says that disparity has got to be examined. Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist will lead a new task force on how the pandemic is affecting communities of color in Michigan. And he joins me now to talk about it. Uh, Garland Gilchrist, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you for having me back. I hope that you and your family are well. Yeah, same for you, of course. Uh, So let's first start with the idea of forming this task force. The last time you and I talked, in fact, we were starting to get an an idea of how much different this would look for African-Americans in Michigan than than the the wider population. Uh, And we talked about inequality. We talked about uh, systemic racism and systemic poverty being drivers of that. Um, I, I have been saying since then that these are problems, of course, that we've had for lots of decades, if not centuries, in this country and in this city and in this state. It does look different, though, here because the stakes are life or death. And so it brings those inequalities into focus in a way that perhaps it wasn't for everyone before. But but walk us through, I guess, the last few weeks where you have now decided that we need a task force to address this specifically. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. And and that is, this is a really important conversation, and, and it does exist in this long-term context that you described when we were talking about it um, just uh, several days ago when I was last on the program. And uh, I think one of the things that is different here, and you talked about um, life or death, I think those health disparities have always been an issue of life or death. But with this pandemic right now, we're just seeing the immediacy of the potential um, death that's coming from this disparity. So mm-hmm. you mentioned in your open, but I want to restate it because it is startling that uh, thus far uh, what we've seen is that although we make up 14% of the population of the state of Michigan, we have made up about 40% of the deaths in here. And one of the reasons that we know that, and I think it's important to start here, is because Michigan was one of the first and it still is one of the few states that actually reports its testing and death statistics broken out by race and ethnicity, and that matters a great deal. Um, For example, even at the federal level, that has not been done consistently. And so without having insight into a problem, it's very difficult to respond to it and to address it effectively. And so we prioritized uh, that sort of reporting on the front end, and we're working to improve that reporting with hospital systems and with county health officials because there still are a number of uh, both positive test cases as well as deaths that are reported where the race is unknown. And so as we understand this problem more accurately, it can help us um, respond to it. I also want to say as context that this does build on, this this task force builds on some of the infrastructure that we did put in place as an administration to try to deal with health disparities. So folks may remember that in the state of the state address this year, Governor Whitmer announced the Healthy Moms, Healthy Babies initiative. Mm-hmm. And that was all about uh, the 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 very disturbing fact that black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes. 
And so under the leadership of Dr. Gregory, who's the head of the Detroit Medical Center, and Dr. Uh, Rash, who is the head of the Michigan State School of Nursing, um, they were beginning to look into this issue. And they were specifically focusing on the implicit bias that exists in uh, medical treatment um, of black women. And this is about the experience of, you know, a black person goes um, to the doctor, a black woman goes to the doctor and says she's experiencing pain. Doctors may respond differently to her than they would um, for, for a woman um, who is white. And so trying to look at how that impacts treatment choices and medication and stuff like that that could lead to other issues. So we had developed some um, framework and infrastructure for dealing with, with disparities from this implicit bias case, but now we're taking that to another level in the context of COVID-19 because of the urgency and how this is coming forward. So Drs. Rash and Gregory are involved in this task force. I also want to recognize Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, who was part of the task force as well. I invited her because, one, um, the 14th Congressional District represents um, – the, many of the hardest hit places in the state when it comes to COVID-19 testing, um, um, positive test cases, as well as deaths, um, but also because she has been a leader on the federal level um, to work to advocate and to call for the federal government to include uh, data on race and ethnicity in its own statistics that it's reported. And, but we also have other, we'll have other experts, um, epidemiologists, uh, infectious disease experts, and then a cross-section of leaders from the community uh, members of the faith community, members of the labor community, and I want to call out why that's super important. Our stay home, stay safe order has some provisions for people who are um, have job functions that are critical to protecting and sustaining life. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are jobs that are done by people of color and in the city, um, a lot, mostly black people. And those are also jobs that are that are union jobs. Um, you work, the UFCW members are working um, at grocery stores. There are people working at pharmacies. There are people who are working for um, electric companies, people who are working in law enforcement or first responders. And so um, having uh, black folks being overrepresented in these uh, types of professions that are exposing them more in this context is really important to have that perspective in terms of how we deal um, with that risk. And ultimately, and unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people in those um, roles uh, pass away, and we need to have that perspective. Yeah. We also have, again, leaders from the faith community, um, leaders from the education community, because we need to think about how we design and talk about and describe these interventions um, in the communities across the state. We also have other people of color represented from the Latinx community, Native American community that have seen similar, um, seen similar, although not to the same degree, uh, issues in terms of disparities. So we're trying to take um, a view that is, is bringing to mind a number of the factors um, and so also, though, our, our goal is that we need to respond and start having interventions be on the ground very quickly because every day matters and is a matter of life and death in this pandemic. So um, we're getting started. Our first meeting is Tuesday, and um, we expect to have some interventions on the ground in a week. So, so uh, a friend of mine and a friend of the show is Greg Bowens, who's a political consultant here in southeast Michigan, uh, has said that part of the problem here is a communications problem with the African-American community, that the message about stay home and stay safe didn't reach our community quite the same way that it did other communities, and that there there should have been a more targeted effort by the Whitmer administration and others to, to try to tailor that message so that it would get to uh, uh, African-Americans uh, and get them to, to change the behavior that we needed to see change once COVID-19 was, was as, as rampant as it was. What, what's, what's your response uh, to that suggestion? Yeah, I know, Greg, and I've seen his suggestions, and I think they're quite uh, thoughtful. And so 
um, I would I would certainly um, appreciate uh, his continued um, sharing of that insight um, and, and for, for how to reach community better. And I think that's one of the things you're going to see in addition to whether it is policy or, or protocol changes that are recommended are, yes, changes in how we can engage. And that's why we wanted to pull in um, a pretty broad cross-section of, of representatives in the community because there's lots of parts of the community we need to, re- we need to reach. We need to reach um, parents. We need to reach young professionals. We need to reach seniors. We need to reach uh, young people, including people under the age of 18. Um, we, there are a lot of communities that need to be reached. There are a lot of tactics um, that can do that, and we've deployed some, but we can always deploy more. So um, I think that, frankly, this is not only an all-hands-on-deck moment for how we need to respond as a community, but it's an all-ideas-on-the-table moment as well because um, – um, really, we need to try as much as possible to save lives. So, so here, here's another thing that I worry about. I, I mean, I think it's really great that everybody now is talking about inequality and the way in which it, it's playing out in this pandemic and the way in which it's having a disproportionate effect on African-Americans. And this task force is, uh, you know, a reflection of that response but I worry that once the emergency passes and we're back to trying to rebuild the economy, we're back to trying to have some sort of normal life, I guess, again, that this will slip out of people's minds. It'll slip past the, the sort of front of their consciousness and that the, the bigger systemic issues, which, of course, are, are supported by our sort of normal way of life in this country – uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take over again and that, that we won't continue to, to, to think about this as an opportunity to change things in, a, in that systemic way. What, what's the guard against that from, from your point of view and from your, from your chair? Yeah, I, I understand that, that concern. And that's why I brought up earlier um, the fact that this was not something um, that our administration was oblivious to before COVID-19. Um, we talked about how um, there have been poor outcomes, poor health outcomes for black people in particular, for people of color in a number of realms, including maternal mortality. And we sort of got started with that one um, with the Healthy Moms, Healthy Babies initiative. Also, you know, our administration took action to, to form um, a, a task force's coordinating function to better coordinate the state's government's response to persistent poverty in communities like Detroit and other parts of the state. So what I would say is that uh, our administration did not just become aware of health disparities because more black people have have died thus far of COVID-19, proportionally speaking. And so um, we do believe that, and I do believe that the interventions that we identify, um, the tactics, the protocols, the programs, the policy changes that we identify in the context of COVID-19 I believe will not only lay the foundation for a continued conversation on health disparities, but I think will be illustrative in terms of the types of interventions that we should be looking at across the board or longer term to help to deal with those disparities. Again, things like the, the labor, the labor uh, piece of this is so important to me because, again, um, a lot of people of color, a lot of black people are doing jobs that are putting them on the front line and putting them in harm's way in a number of of realms of life and sectors of the economy. Mm. And we just think about how we are um, helping to make them um, be more safe or more able to do the things that they um, need to do and not be putting themselves at risk or not be positioning themselves for exposures to things um, that may lead to poor health outcomes. We need to address 
the environmental uh, racism and injustice that has been present in different parts of our state when it comes to the proximity of, you know, polluters and people of color. We need to deal with those things and, and, and what does accountability look like um, needs to be reimagined here in the state of Michigan. And again, our administration and members of the Michigan legislature um, have been thinking about that, particularly the Democratic side. So I don't think these are I don't think that this has been something that's lost. It wasn't lost on us before. It's not going to be lost on us um, going forward. There, however, is a particular um mortality that needs to be addressed in the context of the pandemic because the time frame has been so shortened. It's not a, an abstract concept that um, someone may be in Southwest Detroit is more likely to have a respiratory uh, a disease condition, and that may be something that they have to manage for over a long period of time. We're talking about someone who could get COVID-19 and die in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So um, we need to address that with a sense of um, immediacy that is unique but I believe it will lay the foundation for us to continue um, these interventions for the longer term as well. My guest is Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. We're talking about a new task force that will take a look at disparities here in Michigan that probably are contributing to the outsized effect of COVID-19 on African-Americans. 40% of the deaths from COVID-19 here in the state of Michigan are among African-Americans, and that is a huge contrast to our presence in the population, which is right around 14%. Uh, Garland, let's do a little expectation setting, I guess, with with listeners. Uh, we, we create task, force, lot, task forces uh, a lot of the time, and uh, then we, we don't always benchmark exactly what we would expect to change. I'm going to put a little pressure on you here and and ask you to give us give us a list of things that you think could come out of something like this and and maybe set some barriers uh, be realistic about what we might not expect to be able to change uh, as you as you go about this work yeah I want to I certainly want to give you some ideas I also want to be clear um, you know we do have some ideas coming in here the first task force meeting is Tuesday it's tomorrow so um, all of the ideas are not pre-baked like the <laughs> right. reason that you bring people together from a different of experiences and expertise is to generate more ideas. And so I want to be really clear about that, um, that everything that I'm going to mention here is in by no means comprehensive right. in terms of what will happen. That's right. right. Okay. So just, just want to level set there, first of all. Um, now, in terms of uh, what kinds of things we, we expect to see, um, the speed of putting intervention at the ground is important. And so um, I am charging the task force to be able to bring forward ideas that can be implemented um, within a week's time because every day matters here. And that's why some of these things around reporting and stuff matter as a starting point um, that I mentioned earlier, because again, more information and more data can lead to a better understanding and then better targeted and designed interventions. I also think that um, people should expect to see uh, differences in how we're communicating to the stuff you talked about with Greg, um, but he and others have lifted up issues or, or ideas. And that's something that we want to, to be able to vet and to put onto the ground um, in communities quickly as well. I think that there is something, and I, I keep bringing up this labor point because I think it's really important, mm-hmm. um, but thinking about how people are um, you know, protected at work, how, what the safety net is for workers, um, what are we doing to create the conditions for people to be able to feel safe and feel like they will be whole if they do not go to work. Um, we have to think about that. 
Uh, so building on the programs we put in place, building on the expanded access to employment insurance and health care, um, building on the dollars that we're leveraging from the federal government, um, what, are, what's, what can we do, what more can we do in the state of Michigan um, with a particular eye towards these communities, um, I think is going to be something that we're exploring. I think thinking about how, um, you know, uh, we can we can better, uh, I think, I don't want to say just communicate, but also I think, frankly, um, engage people in ideas for community interventions. And so, like, um, I think there is a matter of, like, we talked about this earlier, when black folks uh, experience trauma as a community, we come together to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that's specifically dangerous um, in this pandemic. And so how can we, you know, help people think about uh, other ways to support one another? How can we um, unlock more access to resources that we've drawn down for the federal government for things like, for example, um, mental health uh, challenging through crisis counseling? How can we make that more available for people so they don't feel like so they can practice safer uh, coping mechanisms for the things that are really traumatic. I mean, uh, I had only lost a, a, a few people last time we talked. Unfortunately, 15 people in my life had passed away from COVID-19. Mm. Um, that's tough to deal with mm-hmm. for, for people. And so we need to make sure they have support in dealing with that. And I think that, you know, that being a challenge may lead to um, behaviors that could put people at risk. So these are the kinds of things we're going to try to do. Um, we are not going to this task force is very unlikely to be the task force that actually finds the vaccine for COVID-19. <laughs> and I say that in all, I say that in all seriousness, because um, we will look at protocol mechanisms and, and procedures that can happen perhaps even within the healthcare system in terms of how we are thinking about um, trying to deal with that bias that shows up in implicit or explicit ways to ensure that black folks are getting the care that they need um, if, and when they are hospitalized or when they're treated or when they call their clinician. Um, but we're not, participating in the research necessarily for the for like you know the vaccine itself um we also uh want to make recommendations about how how testing is happening uh, particularly in these communities that are deeply impacted Mm -hmm. Uh, but recognize that part of the challenge with testing is an issue of testing capacity and that is greatly influenced by the amount of tests that we're getting from the federal government and as recently as i believe saturday um, I think President Trump explicitly said that we didn't need to do widespread testing. So um, that is a battle that we are constantly fighting, which includes working to procure testing kits and testing capacity and swabs and reagent and things like that from private sector uh, vendors around the world. Um, but in order to massively scale up testing the way we need to do to, to unlock community spread, uh, we are constrained by the federal government. And so there are a lot of interventions that can happen around testing and that I think would help contribute to reducing these disparities, um, but we have that pipeline constrained um, due to something that is uh, has been difficult for us to influence, and that's the federal response. Yeah, uh, we've got a couple minutes left. Uh, I want to change the subject just slightly. We're starting to see some numbers since late last week that show the number of new cases and daily deaths declining over the past couple of days. What should we make of those numbers, and does that bring us closer? to having a real conversation about relaxing some of the the stay-in-place restrictions that we have? Well, two things. Um, I, you know, the, the, the goal of stay home, stay safe is to slow the spread of the virus. And so um, we certainly welcome things that may show us going in that direction. It's We, we have to be careful um, because, again, um, some of the, the, especially on the positive test cases, those are, that's so much of that is a function of how much testing is actually being done. And we have been ramping up testing capacity significantly. I mean, the city was one of the first uh, places in the region to open up 
uh, in the region in terms of the Midwest to open up these drive-through test facilities. Um, I know that we have added additional testing capacity in the drive-through way in other parts of the state now. So we're going to see more testing, and typically that will result in more cases. Uh, but I don't think people should necessarily overinterpret um, stuff, especially that came off of the holiday weekend, uh, where labs may not be reporting at the same rate um, on Easter Sunday and things like that. But your other question is important, and that is um, we do need to have a conversation about what our new normal will be like on the other side of this pandemic. And our administration has been thinking about that um, with a pretty broad cross-section of folks. And, and I know others think about it as well. I even know the you know Republican majority leader has a group of people um, thinking about this. And so uh, we need to be thinking about what that looks like for people, what that looks like for businesses. It's one of the reasons why um, I have been working very hard on our efforts to sustain small businesses during this time, the, the Michigan Paycheck Protection Program, um, actually, I do want to um, highlight even um, organizations that are nonprofits can apply for that program. Focus Hope, for example, was the first uh, J.P. Morgan Chase uh, uh, um, banking partner to get a paycheck protection program mm-hmm. uh, loan in the country. And that is something that will back them up to support their payroll during this crisis so um, people don't get laid off. So, I mean, these kinds of things are important to think about. But honestly, they come uh, after thinking about our people. Mm-hmm. thinking about keeping people safe. Our economy is our people. And um, we can recover economically. We can think about how businesses should push function. We can think about um, how to reopen certain sectors. We can think about all the things and imagine them. Um, but people cannot recover from dying. And that's why this racial disparity piece needs to be responded to with urgency. And that is why ultimately our pandemic response needs to be grounded in what we're doing to slow the spread of the virus. Okay. Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, always great to have you here, and I hope you and your family continue to do well during this extraordinary time. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Stephen, and thanks to your listeners. Everyone, please uh, stay safe. Okay, up next, I'm going to speak with a Columbia University psychologist and author who says he thinks this pandemic could help end America's deep political polarization. Of course, lots of us are experiencing something different, so we'll want to hear why he believes that. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.